Are we ready? All right. All right. So, if you haven't, if you haven't got it by now, it's the new year. Yeah. Happy New Year. It's the last time I'm going to say it this year. You'll be pleased to hear. But the New Year's, the New Year, obviously, as the sort of preacher over the Christmas holidays, I've been thinking, okay, Lord, what do I preach on the first Sunday? You know, what's the, what's the message? And um, I suppose I was kind of imagining I'd be preaching a let's have a great year type message. And, you know, because uh, it's a new year and it's all about turning over a new leaf and it's all about making resolutions and it's all about charting your course so you can fulfill your destiny and it's about um, putting certain things in place so you can live a healthier, happier, more popular sort of life. And, um, and then, you know what? I'm not going to preach that kind of message. Um, the title of this message is New Year's Revolution, which is a little bit different from a resolution. Because a resolution is something you decide to do. A revolution is about something being turned around completely. And um, only God can do that. And it's too easy to preach a self-help message in the name of Christianity. You just kind of preach, you know, come on, we can do better. But it's not actually Christianity. You could just preach the same thing anywhere, really. You're just putting a Christian spin on it. So this isn't about New Year's resolutions or turning over a new leaf. This is about uh, just having a revolution in the way that we think and the way that we understand the working of God. And I'm going to read to you from the book of James. So if you want to turn in your Bible to the book of James, it's right near the end. Um, get to Revelation and then flick back a few books and you'll, you'll be there. It's just a short little book and... Um, while you're finding it, I can hear a little bit of rustling, which is always encouraging. Um, while you're finding it, just to say about James, James isn't the kind of guy you'd really want to go out for a coffee with. Um, you know, he'd be way down your list. Because he's not a small talker. He's not a chit-chatter. He's not a, he's not a how's-it-going kind of guy. He's a getting-down-to-business kind of guy. And he'll order the coffee as quick as he can, and he'll sit you down, and he'll say, right... Let's talk about your life. And he'd have spotted about 10,000 things, most likely, that are wrong with it. And he'd have the answers to sort them all out. And James is a fixer. And thank God that everyone isn't James's, but you do need a James. You need people that you call in when things are going wrong. You need someone who's willing to come in and say, this is all wrong, and this has got to change, and that's got to change. And he's very like that and very blunt. And um, in preparation for this message, just reading through the book of James... It's like a wake-up call. It's like, man, if you've never really read it, it's one of the easiest books in the Bible to read because there's, I say this reverently, there's no deep theology, to be honest. It's pretty much application all the way through. And it's basically James going, (laughs) to Christians. That's what he's doing. And you come out of it like that, man, alive. But what it is, it's a safeguard against hypocrisy. It's because it's basically saying, look, if the gospel is working in your life, it should look like this. If the gospel's working in your life, it shouldn't look like this. And, and so what it does, it just helps you understand really what the gospel comes to do in your life. So it's very, very practical. And so um, we may well actually do a series on this um, in the next, um, maybe February was just looking at that. It's possible. Um, so we'll all be walking around with this permanently like slapped around look. Um, but uh, we'll just give you one slapped around look for starters. Let's turn to James chapter 4. Um, which I think is a very relevant passage for the new year. And we're going to read it. It's a short passage and then we're just going to work through it sentence by sentence. 
James chapter 4. If you're not used to the Bible or looking for the Bible, the chapters are the, the big numbers. And then if we say a verse, they're the small numbers. That's how it works. It's really easy. So chapter 4, big 4, verse 13, small 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now there's a shocker for you. There's a 21st century shocker for you. This is out of the blue. When I first read this years ago, it was like, what? Because someone's saying I shouldn't do something that I always do. <laughs> you, you know, if someone says, you know, you shouldn't do that, God does not be doing that, and you've always done it, you go, what? But surely, and what we're going to be let into here is a sh- such a shift of paradigm, such a change of worldview that's actually very, very radical. And I hope that we make some ground in it tonight, but I feel like it's so radical, it will probably, it will probably need a lifetime of meditation, especially for the rich, which is all of us because we live in the West. Because this is how we think. And James is saying, don't. So, we're going to have fun. But just to let you know that James is pastoral and caring, he starts by saying, come now. <laughs> it's kind of paternal. It's reasonable. It's, it's gentle for James. James is saying, look, I've heard that you've been saying some things and it's just not great. Come on. Come on. He says, come now. And then he says this. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now you think, what's so wrong with that? You'd think, you'd think that James would say, come now, you who say, I'm going to kill you. God doesn't want you to live like that. You think, no, I'm with that. I'll get that. Yeah, I'll just read on. He doesn't say that. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go, we'll go to Manchester, we'll go to Edinburgh, we'll go to Barbados, we'll spend a year there, we'll trade, we'll make a bit of money. Come on, don't say that. But it's so normal. It's so normal. And yet the Holy Spirit saw fit to put it into Scripture. Why? Because it's so wrong. But it's so normal, yeah, but it's so wrong. So what's the, what's the deal here? Here's the deal. The deal is, is that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, so sometimes things that are normal aren't necessarily okay. And it's when you come across a Scripture like this, which is for us very countercultural, that you think, gosh, this is... Because, you see, in many parts of the world, they're not so much thinking this, they're more thinking... I wonder where dinner's going to come from. Yeah, that's what they're thinking, literally. So many, many, I think, I don't know the, the statistics, I'm sure some of you would, but a large proportion of the world go to, go to bed hungry. Um, I, think, I think it could be up to, up to a couple of billion, possibly, correct me if I'm wrong, that have one meal a day. So they're not thinking like that. They're thinking, man, what's, what's the score for dinner? But rich people, us, who have a week, a month, or whatever in the freezer, or if not, we know we just could card down. We don't think like that, obviously, but we, we end up thinking like this. James says, come now. So why is it a problem? Well, he explains, thankfully. He says this. He says, 
you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And yet I think probably most of us think we do. Don't we? If we're honest, we think we do. We think, well, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I'll wake up and I'll go to work. Or I'll lie in, if you're a student. Or I'll... <laughs> 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 oh, come on, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'll go to the gym. Wait, I'll do that. And when I wake up, you know, I wake up and the country will be stable and still, you know, and there'll maybe be some news, maybe something, a few bad things would have happened, but probably wouldn't touch my life. And, you know, you don't, but you know what? Here's the, here's the reality. And I know some of you are probably thinking, you'll find it hard to believe, but you actually have no idea for sure what will happen tomorrow. You have no idea. Literally none. You think you do because it's always happened a certain way. So there's a presumption that it will continue, but actually, you have no idea. I received a phone call last night. Um, friend of the family, 25-year-old guy, dead. I was just like, oh. Um, but what happened? Well, no one knows. No one knows. Had an accident and broke his arm. And a few days later, died. No one knows what happened. And you think, oh, well, and it just pulls you up. And you're like, man. And then you suddenly realise, oh yeah, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't. You don't. You have no idea. There were some people that Peter was writing to. They, they really thought they knew what tomorrow would bring. Listen to this. Peter says, uh, 2 Peter 3, he says, um, first one. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your... Sincere mind, by way of reminder, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own desires. And they all say this, where's the promise of Jesus' coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So there's these people saying, life just goes on. Jesus coming again. It's been the same since the start. Peter says, no, it hasn't. No, it hasn't been the same since the start. The whole world was destroyed by a flood. You're overlooking this fact. And there's a whole another destruction coming, but by fire this time. So how's that going to happen when well, he goes on? Don't overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It will come like a thief. Now one thing thieves don't do is give notice. You notice? You spotted that? Yeah, they don't put that little, you know those little cards that come through the door? Pizza, Indian, takeaway. You notice these things? Window cleaning. Thief. <laughs> I'm in the area next week. Lock up. Doesn't do it. Why not? Well, because what the whole thief wants what? The element of surprise. 
the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will just come. Oh, and it's happened. See, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. The Lord may return tomorrow. So, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for? Waiting. And hastening the coming of the day of God. You see, we're to be awaiting people, not our casual complacent. Well, no, this will happen then, I'll get up tomorrow, I'll do this. Hold on. Hold on, careful. But even that, maybe now some of you are thinking, yeah, it's, James is still being a bit over the top here. Okay, the Lord might return, but what's wrong with this? Well, let's keep going, shall we? Let's keep, look at what he says next. He then says this, he says, what is your life? What is your life? You're a mist. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You're a mist. You're here, and then you're gone. Now, how many of you know that Moses wrote a psalm? He only wrote one psalm, Psalm 90. Moses wrote that one. Listen to how he describes human life. It's very telling. He says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you'd formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are concrete. You are unchanging, immutable, everlasting. You return man to dust. Vapour, dust. And you say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight, but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream. Vapour, dust, dream. Like grass. It's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it's renewed in the evening. It fades and withers. Grass. For we're brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we're dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone. We fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Here's the conclusion. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. In this frame, we are not immortal. And the reason why it's so important to say that, and especially for Westerners, and I, and I, I'm not picking on you, I'm one of them, it's because we are so closeted from, uh, closeted from danger, we don't hardly ever see death, or very, very little danger, um, uh, 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 much comfort, much predictability. And in the end, you know what? You can just feel like you're just going to carry on. And you're not. You're really not. And we need to understand this. James says, you're just a vapour. You're like grass, Moses says. You're like a sigh. You're like a dream. You're like a mist. And so all this talk of, well, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make this. Do you know what? It's... Utterly secular. You're giving no, no real meaningful consideration to the centrality of the Lord. James shows us a different way. James says this. He says, instead, he's given us, thankfully, another option. Okay, so what are we, what are we supposed to do? You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. So firstly, James is saying this. Don't say that, say this. There's something to actually say. 
In my last church, there was a number of older women, very senior, sort of 75 plus, and they would have this prayer meeting. Whenever you chatted to them about the future or even the, the week coming, the week ahead, they'd always say, if the Lord wills. Oh, well, you don't notice it, because no one else in the church did. But they would say this, they'd say, if the Lord wills, and I'd be struck by it. And you come across this and you think, oh, there's a humility there. There's a mindfulness of the centrality of God in all things. And, but more than that, they, they verbalised it, which is what James says. Now, why does James say verbalise it? Because, you know, when you verbalise something, what happens is this. In your mind, you renew it. So, as a family, when we have dinner, we say grace, right? Now, some people might think, well, you know what? There's no need to say that every day. It can become legalistic drudgery. I can eat, thankfully. I know you can. I'm not, I'm not saying you all must say grace. But for us, what it does is it renews in our mind our sense of gratitude, our understanding this has come from God. It's not random. It's his provision. Do you understand how that works? As we say it and speak it, we bring it to mind. And if the bean said to me, Steph, since our wedding day, you, you've never said I love you. And I said, yeah, but you know I do. I said it on our wedding day. What do you want? What would you think? You'd think, well, something's not right there. I said, no, she knows I do. I've not been unfaithful. You'd be like, that's not right. Why? Why will husband and wife say, I love you? Why? Because it renews. It renews. It builds up. Yeah? There's something in the spoken word. Now, you don't want to go too far where it becomes some kind of weird magic thing, and I've seen it, even in Christian circles. I'm kind of weird, you've got to say certain things. No, but there's something about verbalising what James says here. If the Lord wills. And I think one of our biggest problems as, uh, as Christians is that we have a very passive view of God. We don't have a view of a God who is actively, meaningfully, hands-on involved in our lives. We have a view of, of one who is seated and throned as he is, but it's kind of like, unless we come to him and bring things to him, then really he's not doing much. And we've really just got to get on and we've got to make things work and we've got to manage things because he's not really doing that much. Whereas the God that the Bible presents is utterly dynamic. There's nothing passive about him in any way at all. If we think about the creating saviour, there was nothing, and then with a word, he speaks the worlds and the planets into being. Isn't he glorious? Let there be. Boom. I mean, scientists are still trying to figure it out. That's starting point. They don't get it. They're trying to try, they've got it back. They think to this far. No, there was a word. The word. Let there be. The mighty oaks. The mighty redwoods. The forests. The mountains. The leviathan. The herds of cattle, let there be. There's nothing passive about him. Think about, think about our sustaining saviour. Because it's one thing to see that he's the creator, but there are those um, people that they call the deists. They say, yeah, God created, but much like someone winds up a clock and then lets it go, in the same way God created, but now he's left his creation. Well, what does the Bible teach? Is that biblical? The Bible teaches this, is that he upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds it all by his spoken word. Everything, you and I, the whole of creation are being upheld, even in this moment, by the word of God. The Bible teaches God is omnipresent. He is here. The Bible says the risen Lord Jesus Christ fills all things. Creation is pulsating with the life of God. The seraphim, who are the flaming ones around the throne, they sing a song and it goes like this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
He's sustaining it all. He is utterly involved. He is the potter and we are the clay. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He is fashioning us. He is forming us. He is using circumstances that come our way to shape us, to refine us, to sanctify us. He is completely involved. When he goes on radio silence, or it seems that way, he's doing that deliberately. Why? To draw out of you. He's working you and to draw, to to cause you. Like when um, a plant is in the ground and, 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 and and there's a drought. And what happens is then the roots in the ground, they grow. They get deeper in the search for water. And there are times in the, when you're walking with the Lord where it's like he withdraws his presence. Why? So that your roots will go down deeper into him. Why? So you can find that living water. Because you press after him and you find him again. Oh, glorious. But what's happened is your roots have gone deeper into him. It's his work. Even when it seems like he's doing nothing, he's doing more than you can imagine. Or think about the incarnate saviour. That he became a man. Passive? Passive? That he became a man? That he went through all that you and I do, the pressures, the temptations, the trials, the fears, the opposition, the intimidation, the agony. Think about your crucified saviour, dying for you, fighting for you, bleeding for you that his blood might procure your forgiveness. Passive? Think about your resurrected saviour. There he is in the tomb, there forever, so it would seem. What did he say? You destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. Bang! He's out from the tomb. He's alive. Think about your ascended saviour. Often people think, well, he's up there and he's, well, what's he doing up there? He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. Think about Simon Peter where Jesus says, Simon, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He's prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You might say, how can I sit here today still following the Lord? He's prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and he will go on praying for you, and he will bring you home safely. Amen? Amen. He has started a work, he will complete it. He is utterly engaged, utterly involved in every part of his creation. There is nothing passive about him. Even when you think, what's God doing? Why isn't he doing it? I'm expecting him to do this. He's patient. Why hasn't he righted this wrong? He's patient. He'll do it in the right way at the right time. Why hasn't he come back yet? He's not slow. He's patient, wanting none to perish. It's all intentional. It's all the glorious activity of God. So if the Lord wills, is a big deal. And we say this. It's very interesting. If the Lord wills, firstly, I'll still be alive. Okay? What's your New Year's resolutions? Well, if the Lord wills, I'm going to get through it. That's what James is saying. Firstly, you're just a mist, you come and you go. Around about 200,000, sorry, no, around about 150,000 people a day on the planet expire. In fact, around about five years ago, just over five years ago, um, Christmas Day night, about 230,000 people went to bed and then woke up for the last time. Because a tsunami hit, bang. An extra 230,000 went that day. See, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You just don't. You really don't. And so there's a humility, James, saying, no, you need to be mindful of the Lord. You're alive today? The Lord wills it. It's not random. The Lord wills it.
Today is God's gift of grace to you. The fact that you're sitting here, breathing, conscious, it's his grace. It's his, it's his deliberate grace. The Lord wills that you live today. The Lord wills. It's not just, well, of course, no. The Lord wills it. You're here because he wills it. So that's the first thing you say. Then you say, if the Lord wills, we may do a few things. <laughs> yeah? We might do some stuff. Now, we know God's plan is for us to be fruitful and he's got good works for us, created in advance and all of that. But there's a humility to walk through that in. Yeah? There is a humility where you say, do you know what? I'm reliant on his, his determined sense of wanting me to do this. His, his will for my life. Not just a sense of, well, I'm doing this and God, you know, just please bless me. No, no, no. Please don't do that. Because it's, James, James says, no, don't do that. Have a humility about it. You'll be mindful of the centrality of the Lord in all things. And we are in a very, very secular society. So many other nations, they're not Christian, but they're not secular. Okay? So be very mindful of their particular gods or their particular religion. Whereas our society is just very, very humanistic and secular. And so it's all about being the captain of your own destiny. And it's completely unbiblical and harmful. In fact, James uses really strong words. He's, I've ended, he says, as it is, you boast. He says, it's boasting. If you say you're going to go there next year, do this and that and make a profit, without any reference to the Lord, you're boasting in your arrogance. You're arrogant. Now, what you find as you read James is that quite a lot, he, every now and then he just hits the rich, just donks them with a little hammer. Bonk, bonk, just does that. Right? So that's us. Okay? You're English, you're rich. End of story. So it's donk. Why? Because doesn't our rich people know? Because it's bad to be rich? No. But why? Here's why. Being rich subtly, very often, introduces unhelpful ways of thinking. You don't even realize it. But you're so self-sufficient, and everything's so sorted, and, you know, you, you, it's not just that you've got clothes on your body, you've got wardrobes full of them, and then cupboards full of old ones that you don't wear anymore, you know, and the food's sorted, everything's sorted, and, you know, the, the two holidays for this year, it's sorted, everything's sorted. And what, what can develop is a real deception, and it's a deception of the fact of, well, this is it. That, you know, it's, it's going to be like this. And I, I can be totally confident in this. But it's actually, outside of God's blessing, it's really not secure. Do you know what I mean? And any minute it could just go. And so God in his mercy to keep the rich from falling into a false security, he just gets James out with his hammer to go donk. <laughs> just so you go, oh, what? oh yeah. And so you realize, man, I've, I've, put, I've, I've just got complacent there and i've without realizing i've just boasted that i'm talking is it's arrogant it's like it's like i'm the captain of my destiny and james says no don't do that here's a little tip if you just build into your vocabulary not in a religious slavish legalistic way but build in a humility which articulates if the lord wills if jesus wills it that will keep you safe from that so planning is fine but you're planning the fear of the lord and you seek him and you commit it and you say, God, I want to just hold this light and submit this to you. But it's a beautiful thing. And I think that, do you want to say, you know, what's 2010 about? It's about that. What's 2010 about for Revelation Church? It's about saying, if the Lord wills. I'm, that's good enough for me because I think he's got some great plans for us. <laughs> so when I say that, it fills me with confidence. I think, great, you know. But that's what it is saying, God, if you will, that's what we are. And I love leading this church. 
If, if the Lord wills that I do it for this year, I'm very, very pleased. But you know, he may not. He may not. Tomorrow might be it. I might expire in my sleep. It might be time. It might be time. I've done, done my job and I'm called home. And likewise for you in your situations. And we need to just be at peace in that. Just be at peace in that and walk in that and say, if the Lord wills. And we can rejoice in it because Romans 12, 2 says that the will of the Lord is good, pleasing, and perfect. Isn't that nice? <laughs> it's nothing to fear. It's not a thing to fear. And I think very often the reason why we do, we do promote our own will and we do feel safer ma- managing the whole thing in, a, in an ungodly way is because we fear if I didn't, what would the Lord do? He knows you. He knows your frame. He knows, you, he knows your dust. He knows your fears. He knows what you can and can't handle. He won't test you beyond what you can bear. He's got a perfect plan. And we need to shake that fear off and say, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord. And in, in the moment, just as we gather back in, I want to just ask us, those of us who just feel, yeah, I want to I stand today and say, you know what? 2010 for me is about saying, not my will, but yours be done. That's what this year is about for me. I'm going to live in the peace of that. I'm going to trust the Lord for that. And it's not that everyone has to stand, but I think just for some of you, there might be just you feel, yeah, you know what? I, I want to do that. On the 3rd of January 2010, I want to draw a line in the sand. I just feel tonight before God, I want to do that and, 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 and say, if the Lord wills, happily, gladly, and confidently. Once we've done that, we're going to take the bread and the wine. And, and that's, the bread and the wine is massive when we think about what we're talking about tonight. It's just huge. Because the bread and the wine is all about what he did, isn't it? <laughs> and you know, when we gather, you've got to get this, we gather to celebrate who he is and what he did. Now, hopefully at some point in life, we'll do some great things for him by his power, yeah? But the big exciting thing is who he is and what he's done. That's the big deal. Always will be. And so when we take the bread and the wine tonight, it's about revolution, not resolution. Yeah. More than saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. It's saying, Jesus, you died for me. Out of that, yeah, I'll follow you. But it's about saying, Jesus, you are. It's him. It's him. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here, you've never given your life to the Lord. Maybe, you know, you've never done that. I want to just say, why don't you make it a moment of revolution? Why don't you make your first New Year's revolution tonight? Up here at the bread and wine at the Lord's table where you can say, Jesus, you're the man. And I want to follow you. All right, I'm just going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing activity in our lives. You are at work. You're the potter and we're the clay. Thank you, Lord, that this year you want to shape us and mold us and change us. You've got so much you want to do. You do want to prosper us. Thank you as we trust you. You do want to make us fruitful. You do want to grant us, Lord, the riches, the riches of heaven. And all we want to just be in that place where we say, not my will, but yours. And if that's you, you just feel like you really want to, it's just a bit of a moment for you to draw a line in the sand and say, 2010, not my will, but yours. You just, if you just stand now, we're just going to pray together.